tell you, God desires to move in our hearts this morning. God is primarily interested with two groups of people. The lost who still have yet to be saved. And if you're here this morning and you've never repented of your sins and truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not here by accident. We pray if there's anything that you see this morning, it's not the music, it's not the sermon, but it's the Savior that we're singing about. It's the Savior that I'm preaching about. He's what you need. God has really but one answer to all of the problems that we face in our world, and the answer is His Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, God is concerned about the church. God's chosen people, called out to be a holy people, a righteous people that live lives that are lights to this lost and dying world. And this morning, whether you're on either side of the aisle, whether you're here or there, whether you're saved or unsaved, whether you're of the church or not of the church, I believe this morning that the God of heaven and earth desires to speak to each and every one of us here this morning. I ask that as I pray this morning after I read our text, that you would pray for yourself this morning. If there be anything that God would want to share with you, that you would Be especially in tune to it, that you would hear from the Lord this morning, that He would minister to the needs in your lives and your families. This morning we'll be careful to make sure He alone gets the praise and honor for what He does. Psalm chapter 92, I want to read one verse, verse 12. And I ask that you stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of God, and then I'll allow you to be seated the remainder of the service. Psalm 92 Verse 12 says this, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. One more time. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Let us pray. Father, this morning we are thankful for the opportunity to come and worship You. And Father, this morning we acknowledge as Your people, I acknowledge as the pastor of this church and the man getting ready to preach Your Word, that Lord, we need You. You're what we need, God. It's it's You. Uh, Father, it is Your work. It is Your will that we desire. And Father, we acknowledge the need for You to anoint us this morning. God, I acknowledge the need for You to anoint me to preach, not in man's wisdom, but in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. God, we ask that You would save sinners this morning, God, knowing that's what You sent Your Son to bleed and die for on Calvary's cross, Lord. God, I pray that You would revive the church this morning. God, that You would encourage us. Lord, that You'd help us to get some proper perspective, Lord, in our lives this morning. And God, we just ask that You'd move in a mighty way. God, that when we leave this place, we'd be able to leave, not saying what a song, what a sermon, what a church, but God, that we'd be able to leave saying what a Savior. We have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just ask you to have your way. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to preach the next two weeks on these two trees. The Bible tells us that all of nature testifies of God. And one of the things I like about studying nature is that it kind of gives us some special insight into how God sees us. And here the Word of God tells us, according to God, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, and that he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. 
Those two trees, the palm tree and the cedars of Lebanon, are two totally different trees. There's really very little between the two of them uh, concerning similarities. And so this week I want to preach to you about how the righteous, that being the church of the living God, how we are like cedars in Lebanon. And next week I want to preach how we are like the palm tree. So this week let's start with the cedar in Lebanon. How is the righteous like a cedar in Lebanon? The Lebanon cedar trees are mentioned various places throughout Scripture. This is not the only reference to them. We see almost every one of the major prophets references them at some point in time as they're drawing out analogies concerning what the church should be like and what God's people should be like. The first thing I want to point out this morning about the cedars of Lebanon is out of Psalm 104 and verse 16. You do not have to turn far to read it with me. Psalm 104 and verse 16 says, The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon which He planted. Can I tell you this morning that one of the ways the righteous is like the cedars of Lebanon is that you must be planted by God. The Bible clearly states that these trees belong to God, that they are planted by God. And as we study them, you will see the significance and the the awesomeness of the cedar tree compared to all the other trees of that land. But I want to tell you this morning, you have to be planted by the living God. It is not simply religion that will save a man. It is not simply deciding that I'm no longer going to live the old way of life. I'm no longer going to live in my wicked ways. I'm now going to become a religious person and I'm going to find a church that I can get connected with and I'm going to become a God-fearing man. You must be planted by the Lord. Jesus said a man must be born again. That unless he is born of the water and the Spirit, you must be born of the Spirit in order to inherit the kingdom of God. And there is none that can give life. There is none that can plant that seed of life, the redemption seed of the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us and cleanses us from all of our sin. There is none that can plant that in the heart of a man or a woman, a boy, a child. There is none that can plant that except God Himself. He does the planting. That's where it starts. This morning I asked the question, have you been planted? Has the Word of God taken roots in your heart this morning? These trees were planted by the Lord. People attempt to clean up their lives first before coming to God. But this does not work. I have had no small number of conversations with people that have talked about coming to church. I know I need to. I know I need to get right with God. But I've got all this taking place. I have this going on in my life. And I have that thing going on in my life. And my circumstances are so uh, difficult that everything needs to change. And, and, and we instinctively try to clean ourselves up first before coming to God. This morning God simply says, come as you are. You can never get yourself clean enough to present yourself to God. 
And more importantly, you can never be too filthy to present yourself to God. He will take you as you are. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover all of our sins and to forgive every wicked thing that we've ever done. Too many people waste time trying to clean themselves up. Church, it is a good thing to quit sins. It is a good thing when a person stops an unhealthy habit. And it can make that person a better person concerning his abilities to influence society, his abilities to parent or whatever it may be. We can stop certain sins and it may be beneficial to our life. But stopping certain sins does not save us. Trying to clean yourself up and rid yourself of this thing and of that thing will never put you in a position where you become holy enough to inherit the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And this morning, if you have not come to God, this morning, if you know that you stand guilty before God, and if today was your last day, and today was the day that you stood before the Creator of your soul, the living, eternal God, and you gave an account for your life, you would split hell wide open, and you would be cast into that evil, devilish place for all of eternity. This morning, if that is you, and you are in that position This preacher pleads with you, come to God this morning. Don't wait another day. There's nothing you need to do in your life before you come to God. Today is the day of salvation, and the lover of your soul stands with arms wide open, saying, come to me, I am the answer. You do not have to clean yourself up to come to God. He'll do the work for you. These trees were planted by the Lord. These trees also grow to be huge, and they tower above the rest of the trees, not only in height, but also in size. Can I say this morning that we're never as big in our lives as when we're serving God. We never have the ability to make an impact in our worlds as much as we do when we're serving God. And God's desire for the church, God's desire for every individual believer is to grow up into maturity and grow to the place where your stature is high in the Lord and people know this person has been touched by the hand of God. There is no doubt that God's hand is on his life. There is no doubt that God's hand is on her life because you don't grow to that place. You don't learn to love people the way that person loves people. You don't learn to show mercy and grace and find the strength that this person seems to have even in the midst of persecution unless God Himself has planted it. These trees are also evergreen in all seasons. Listen to me. Nothing changes the life that is in them. They never give the appearance of death. When all the other trees begin to change their color and give the appearance of death because winter is on the way, the cedars of Lebanon stand strong and they show no change and they continually, year-round, show life. I'm telling you, that's God's will for the child of God. I'm not saying that we don't go through trials and tribulations. And the Bible says that every man shall taste death. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. 
We go through difficult times, church. We fight sickness and sorrow and pain, even as the church of the living God. But the child of God has life inside of him. Jesus said, I give you life, and I give you life abundantly. And Jesus said, my sheep have eternal life. We have it now. The eternal life is ours. It's been given to us. It belongs to us now. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what season of life you're in, whether it's summer or the winter, the evergreen, the, excuse me, the cedars of Lebanon, they should continually show there is life in us that separates us from the rest of the trees of this world. These trees were planted by God. Number two this morning, they were preserved by the Lord. Not only were they planted by the Lord, but they are preserved by the Lord. The cedar tree has a special protective bark that resists rot and repels insects. As Christians, we have the blood of Christ that preserves us and protects us from our enemies. Insects would try to bore into the tree to kill it. The best thing to do to keep that from happening is to simply keep them from boring into the tree. God made these cedars with a special protective bark that made it impossible for the insects to bore through them like they would in many of the other trees. This morning can I tell you, church, listen to me carefully, Christian brother or sister. There are a lot of insects in this world that surround us and seek to attach themselves to us and seek to bore straight through us and begin to cause us to rot and to wither and to ruin from the inside out. And the most, the most, the healthiest thing we can do is keep the insects from ever getting in. What is the point, preacher? The point is this. Church, we need to be careful what we're allowing in this body of ours. We need to be careful what's coming in the eyes, what's coming in the ears, what's coming in the mind. We need to be careful because there is a world full of insects, if you will, keeping our analogy this morning. There is a world full of insects that would like to bore straight through the life of the Christian and cause us to become unfruitful, cause us to quit growing, cause cause us to rot, and cause us to lose our influence in this world, to lose the joy that is unspeakable, to lose the peace that passes understanding. Christian, we need to take very careful care to keep our Christian life sacred and holy and righteous. The righteous, the righteous shall be like a cedar of Lebanon. Righteous. When we begin under the pretense of grace to partake and saturate ourselves in the things that are clearly wicked. Mark my words this morning, it will not be long before your tree begins to rot. And your joy begins to fade. And you find yourself doing things, you say, I never would have done that before. I never, I never would have thought that. I never would have, I, was, I didn't know I used to be this angry. I didn't know I used to be this on edge. I didn't know I used to be so fearful. I didn't know I used to have this lack of peace in my life. But now, all of a sudden, I find myself, I still believe in God. I'm still a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm in a tailspin. And I don't know how I got to this place. I'm telling you, we must take very diligent care to make sure that the insects don't attach themselves to us and bore through us and begin to cause rot from the inside out. 
These cedars had a very protective bark that kept that from happening. God also preserved them not only by the protective bark on the outside, but from the sap that is on the inside. We read Psalm 104 earlier, verse 16. It said they are full, full of sap. The sap was full, which keeps the heart of the tree warm in freezing winter. This is one of the reasons that they never give the appearance of death because they are filled not only protected on the outside, but they are filled on the inside and they are filled with sap and it keeps them warm on the inside even in the place of the cold of winter. Not only does the sap keep the tree warm and keep it from freezing, but it keeps the bow of the tree, the, the, the trunk of the tree strong. Not only does it keep it strong, the sap also keeps the tree fragrant. If you like wood, you know that there's almost nothing that smells better than cedar. I love the smell of cedar. Can I tell you this morning that the Lord not only covers us in His blood, but He gives us the Holy Spirit to indwell in us to keep our hearts warm, to keep us strong, and to have a fragrance about us in our service of the Lord. The sap... The oil representing the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. Oh, how desperately, church, we have to understand our desperate dependence upon the need for the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are kidding ourselves when we think that we can finish in the natural what God began in the Spirit. At the moment of salvation, when we give our lives to Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in us and to live in us. And we must learn, the Bible says, the same way you began in Christ Jesus, so walk ye in Him. I must learn to walk by faith, not by sight. I must allow the Holy Spirit to rule my heart to be the ruling force that rules me from the inside out so that my heart is warm even in the place of winter, even in the place of the bad seasons, even in the place of confusion. The Holy Spirit has the power, church of living God, to give us strength and keep us warm in that place. And then there should be this fragrance about us that tells the world there is something in us, something of us that is different from all the other trees of the earth. I'm not talking to you this morning about being perfect. I'm not talking to you this morning about the holier-than-thou attitude, but I'm telling you this. We serve a real living God. It's not just about religion. It's not just about going through the motions. It's not just deciding that you like the Christian religion over some other religion and you're going to find a good church that you like versus one that you don't like. We serve a living God that has the power to change somebody's life for all of eternity. That God sent His Son to bleed and die for us so that we could be in a relationship with Him. And when God enters into the heart of a man or a woman, there will be change that is lasting and eternal. We serve a real, living, and powerful God this morning. Do you know Him? Or do you just know about Him? Do you know Him this morning? Or do you just know about Him? I can tell you this morning, and I'm going to use Rick Warren because it's a name that many of you know and you'll be able to relate to what I have to say. I can tell you this morning that Rick Warren is a world-renowned author. I can tell you that not only is he a world-renowned author, but he has the greatest selling book in the history of the world besides the Bible. I can tell you that he pastors a church in California. 
I can tell you that he was the first pastor in the history of the United States to actually host a presidential debate at his own church and uh, between Barack Obama and whoever the last candidate was last year that Barack Obama beat, John McCain. I can tell you a lot about Rick Warren's theology because I've read some of his stuff. I want to ask you the question. Do I know Rick Warren? No. I don't. I've never met him. I've never talked to him. I've never sat down and communed with him. I've never been on a walk with him. I've never had a conversation with the man in my life. The way I know Rick Warren is the way most people who sit in the pew know God. They can tell you all about God. They can tell you all the Bible stories. They can tell I me mean, they, they know all the, the, the stuff. But I ask you this morning, do you know Him? Not about Him. Not who He is. Not what He wrote. Not His story. Do you know Him? Because God longs to live in us and to have a real living relationship with us. I'm telling you, we serve a personal God. We serve a personal God who's not impressed with us just going through motions to somehow appease uh, our religious nature and think that we did something good for God. God doesn't just want your religious motions. God wants you. He wants your heart this morning. Not only does He give us the Holy Spirit to keep us warm, strong, and fragrant, the roots of the cedar grow down deep. The roots of the cedar, which is one of the things that allows them to grow so tall, actually grow down so deep that some of them can wrap completely around rocks all the way around and wrap themselves around huge boulders. Can I tell you this morning that when their roots go down deep, it allows them to brave the storm. When the, when the weight of the snow comes during the winter and the storms come and the winds come because their roots are so deep, it keeps them from being simply pulled right up out of the ground and being knocked over. What is its application to us? We also, brothers and sisters, we have roots that need to go deep. We need to go deep in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope this morning that... I know I'm kind of preaching hard but I hope that you hear my heart this morning and that, that you understand God wants a relationship with you. One of the greatest problems of the modern day church is we are shallow. We have no depth about us. Our roots barely make it below the surface. And we're more concerned about what we look like than what we are. And so long as the rest of the world and the rest of my family or my husband or my wife or my children or the people in my circle, the people at my work, as long as I look to them like I'm this great healthy tree, it doesn't matter where my roots are. And the, the, the aura that so many who call themselves Christians walk about with in the world is so different than what they walk in their own private and personal lives. And there is no power. And we find that when the storms of life come, we see the evidence that there was no root. Because they wither and they fade and they run. This morning, brother, this morning, sister, our roots need to go deep. Jesus Christ wants a deep relationship with you. 
He wants a relationship where you're with Him every day, spending time with Him. I'm not going to tell you how much time. That's not my business. I'm not going to tell you, how, here's, the, here's the formula. Read this much, pray this much, do this much. No, all of a sudden we're back into the bondage of trying to become righteous through works. But I'll tell you this, when you love God with an everlasting love and you understand He loves you, most importantly, He loves you with an everlasting love. Brothers and sisters, we ought to spend time with Him. We ought to sit before Him. We ought to give Him a chance to speak to us and respond to us. And we ought to have some quiet time where after we pray, we're saying, God, if there's anything... You want to speak in that still, small voice in the depths of my soul. Lord, speak to me now. For God, I need You and none other. Lord, how can I go where I ought to go unless You show me where I ought to go? I'm talking about our roots need to grow deep, brothers and sisters. When the roots grow deep, the tree grows tall. We need to be concerned about what we are and not just what we look like. We need to quit trying to simply seem and actually be. They were planted by the Lord. They were preserved by the Lord. Thirdly, today they were perfected by the Lord. It's one of the few trees on earth that no man has ever pruned. No man prunes these massive trees. They grow so tall and huge, yet they are free from knots. Only God could do something like that. Charles Spurgeon said that they grow the most in the region known as the, quote, eternal snow, end quote, on the top of the mountains of Lebanon. Now, why is this amazing? The answer is because they grow so huge and so tall, they are so vast, and yet they grow on top of a mountain instead of down in the valley where most large trees grow. Can I tell you that only God can make a tree of such awesomeness that can thrive in the places that most trees would die? These were perfected by the Lord. God is the one that raised these up. Brothers and sisters, God's desire is to perfect us. God's desire is to raise us up and grow us up. Oh, how much we've got to listen to the voice of God and heed His instruction. If you're ever going to grow up and be something great for God, Christian brother, Christian sister, you're going to have to listen to God and let God be the one that raises you up. God's got to be willing to have the authority to prune you in your life. God has to have the authority to say, you're going to grow this way, you're going to do this thing, and this is how it's going to work. And we must learn to have an unwavering obedience to God to simply trust and obey and say, God, I don't understand it all, but I know this one thing, Lord, Your ways are higher than my ways and I will not lean on my own understanding, but I will trust You and Lord, I will acknowledge You in all my paths, Lord, that You might direct me. Brothers and sisters, when we know that God has spoken, when we know that thus says the Lord and yet we refuse to listen, we will always begin to grow in the wrong direction. And you know I'm telling the truth when I say this. And then we grow in the wrong direction and we get mad at God because we're in the wrong spot. And God's saying, I told you to be merciful and gracious to that person. I told you to get rid of your gossiping tongue. I told you to lay down your lying and begin to speak the truth. 
I told you that you've got to let your integrity guide you and not be fearful of man. And you've got to be not fearful of man, but you've got to be fearful of me. For the beginning of the knowledge of the Lord is, is fearing the Lord. And God says, you did not trust me. And because you did not trust me, you now find yourself off track. You not, now find yourself in a place, in a position where you're somewhere you ought not be. And we blame God for it. That's the truth, isn't it, church? You must be willing to let God raise you up. You must be willing to let God make the calls in your life. You must have an unswerving and unwavering willingness to trust and obey God. They were planted by God. They were preserved by God. They were perfected by the Lord. Fourthly this morning, the use of the cedars was ordained by the Lord. We see in 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 9 that cedars were actually built and used to make the house of God. God ordained the use of cedars to add beauty to the house of God. Can I say that we too, as God's righteous and holy people, should, should, underline the word should, should also add beauty to the house of God. God's desire for the righteous is to be raised up like a cedar of Lebanon in our lives. Our lives should add beauty to the majesty of what God can do and to the awesomeness of the God that we serve. The Bible also records the use of these magnificent trees not only in the house of God, but in David's personal house in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In Solomon's house, in 1 Kings chapter 7, Solomon's house took 13 years to build. 13 years. That was quite the house. We learn of Solomon's house that it was built upon four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams upon the pillars. And it was also all of the beams in the house were covered with cedar. What is the point this morning? Make sure that you are a cedar in your home. Make sure that you, man, that you, woman, that you, dad, that you, mom, that you, husband, that you, wife, are a cedar in your own home. An example of holy righteousness. An example of what happens in a life that is led and governed by the Holy Spirit. That is led and governed by the principles of God. I believe in church. I happen to pastor one. But until we regain the home, we will never really regain the church. When children sit at home and they see unrighteousness, and they see filth, and they see anger, and they see unforgiveness, and they see bitterness, and then you bring them to hear old Pastor Joplin, I'm telling you, I'm not saying that it's totally valueless. But it is confusing to children to be raised up in a home that does not live what it says it believes. It's confusing. And our kids are not dumb. I believe at about the age of four, Four, that's what I believe. At about the age of four, children begin to actually see the hypocrisy that takes place in their homes. They understand the difference. 
between the way mom and dad act around all their Christian buddies and the way mom and dad act as soon as they get in the car. Four years old, I believe they're old enough to begin seeing and understanding this. That they might not be able to verbalize it, they might not be able to explain it, but they see the conflict. Guys, we need to be cedars in our homes. What this church should be, and what any church should be, it should be a place that reinforces what parents should already be doing in their homes. This should not be the contrary view of what righteousness actually looks like compared to what your home looks like. Mom and Dad, this morning I want to tell you, God ordained the use of cedars in the building of His church. It was used for the building of, of, of masts of ships in Ezekiel. Because God knew that the strength of the cedar could withstorm the waves and the billows of the sea. And we, as God's people, we need to be cedars, unwavering in our truth, in our commitment to God. And it starts in the home. In Isaiah chapter 44, we see that man had corrupted the cedars. The cedars had been cut down and they had been carved into a graven image and worshipped by man. I want to say this about righteousness. And I want to say this about being used of God. And I want to say this about parents that live godly life. We should do those things. But the cedars were never meant to be worshipped. And we must be very careful to never find ourselves worshipping the idol of man. And it is easier to do than what we think. It is sneaky, the nature of man. It is easier to do than what we think. We find heroes of the faith and all of a sudden every word they say becomes gospel truth. We find ourselves trying to be like somebody else instead of trying to be who God wants us to be. In church, no matter how much God uses us, brother or sister, no matter how much God uses you, and no matter how much God uses another man or another woman, we must be ever so careful to remember the cedars were meant to bring glory to God. Yes, the cedars were ordained to be used by God, but they were never meant to be worshipped by man. God alone deserves our worship. And every good thing that's ever done in any church Every good thing that's ever done in this church, every good thing that's ever done in my life, every good thing that's ever done in your life, God alone deserves the glory. We cannot worship man. He alone is the God of it all. And He alone deserves to be praised for it this morning. This morning as I close, I want to talk about the perishing of the cedars. Especially the cedars of Lebanon. These trees used to be plenteous there in the mountains of Lebanon, but today there are only a few left. Because man has cut them down. Man has decided to use them for purposes they weren't necessarily meant to be used for. And our lust for more, and our desire for more, they have almost all been destroyed the cedars specifically of Lebanon. Can I say this morning that this world would like to cut down the cedars in the church? That 
this world would like to see the church fall flat on its face. That when righteous men and righteous women fall, the world rejoices. And how desperately we need men and women to stand up and fill the gap. How desperately the church of the living God needs some husbands, some wives, some mothers, some fathers, some men, some women, some young people to say, I don't care what the rest of the world's doing. I don't care what's cool. I don't care what the newest fad is. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord and I will grow up and I will flourish and I will grow the way that the cedar tree grows and I will be used of God in my generation. You, my friends... God wants to be that man. God wants to be that woman. There is evidence that in certain pockets of the world, though it's not necessarily Lebanon, there is evidence that the overall population of cedar trees in the world today is beginning to expand and grow. I'm no prophet and I'm not trying to get all prophetic this morning when I say this. But I believe God desires the same thing in the church. We've been asleep for a long time. The church. And about 10 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, the church woke up and said, whoa, where's everybody going? How come our teens are leaving? As soon as they're 18, they're out on their own. How come the church has lost its influence in just about every area that it once used to have influence? How come the church has become a laughing stock in many places? And how come there's all the scandals and stuff taking place in the church? And where is the righteousness anymore? Where is the holiness? Where is the power of God? And about 10 or 15 years ago, the church began to wake up to that. And I'm telling you some of the solutions that, that the smartest amongst us have tried to come up with to re-get people back into the church. It hasn't restored righteousness. It hasn't restored power. This morning I want to tell you, we've got to do it God's way. Amen. We've got to do it God's way. He's the one that makes the rules, not us. Amen. He's the one that says, come to me. It's not us standing saying, God, if you want to, come to us. No, God's the one that stands this morning and says, you come to me. Right. We need a revival in the church. We need a revival and it starts in the hearts of men and women, one person at a time. We need, we need fathers to say, you know what? Enough is enough. I am the leader of my home and I will be who God says I'm going to be. We need some women of God who says, enough is enough. I'm going to be the woman of God God calls me to be, and I'm going to follow Him, and I'm going to obey Him in every area of my life. We need some business owners who will raise up and say, I don't care what the way of the world is, and I don't care if it tells us you've got to push people down to get to the top. I will stand in my integrity, and I will trust God with my business, and I will glorify God with all that I do. We need politicians who will have the Christian principles in their life and say, I don't care what the rules of politics are. God alone is right. And whatever is politically correct cannot be morally wrong. And I will stand for what is right. 
and I will represent the people of this land with a godly conscience. It's time for the cedars to grow. It's time for our roots to grow deep. So our worship team comes this morning. I'm going to talk to two groups of people and I'm done. First of all, those of you that have never been planted. And in the depths of your heart this morning, God has spoken to you in a way you have never heard before. And you know it. Nobody knows it but you and God. And your soul is stirring within you. And you don't understand it all and you're thinking, wow, what, God, what, what was happening in this place this morning? I want you to know God loves you. He has a plan for you. And He cares for you enough to stir you up and to open your eyes to the reality. There is a living God. And He transcends simple religion. And He loves you and cares for you. And this morning, He longs to save your soul. And I want to encourage you here in just a moment to get up out of your seat where you're at. And come to one of these altars. And I will meet you there. We'll have our assistant pastor meet you there. Somebody will meet you there to pray with you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning. And here's a second pocket of people I want to talk to. Christians. Maybe you've allowed your bark to be penetrated. And you haven't kept up your life. And this morning there's rot. This morning there's damage. And you know it. And you need to fall on your face before God and say, God, it's time to get my roots back down deep. God, it's time that I let you keep that protective covering around me and I quit letting unhealthy things in that really are just trying to destroy me. Maybe God's dealing with your heart about just being one of the great cedars of your time in your place, in your world, in your job, in your family. And you just want to fall before God and say, God, please, help me to do it. Help my roots to grow deep. God, I'm willing. Lord, I'm willing. God, show me anything in my life that needs change, God. I'm willing this morning. And as Isaiah simply said, here am I, Lord, send me.